years ago, the men had a pizza night. And we watched a movie. The movie was called Hacksaw Ridge. It documents the true story of Private First Class Desmond Dars, who enlisted as an army medic during World War II, but refused for religious reasons to carry a weapon. Spoiler alert. Despite ridicule, persecution, and pressure to accept a discharge, Dos prevailed. He eventually deployed to Okinawa, where on Hacksaw Ridge, he ended up saving the lives of 75 fallen soldiers. His prayer rang through the night, Lord, please help me get one more. Dos became the first soldier to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor without ever firing a shot. Somehow, Dos knew, well, it might be fine for others to fight for what was right. It was not okay for him. He wanted to be a medic, helping save those who fought. And against all pressures around him, he stood up for his God-given mission. And in the end, God and America rewarded him for it. Sometimes we must stand for what is right. It may be a big thing like Desmond Dawes. Or it may be a relatively minor thing, like quelling gossip about another person. Today's passage contains a challenge to face oppression and infanticide on a grand scale. Earlier, the young Hebrews, the young Hebrew man Joseph, had saved Egypt and the world. During a terrible drought, Now, a pharaoh had come along who didn't remember Joseph. Even more, he considered the rapidly growing nation of Israel a threat. Now, if you do the math, Israel had doubled in size every 25 years. Over 430 years, it grew grew from a family of 70 to a nation of about 3 million. God was keeping his promise to Abraham to give him as many descendants as the sand on the seashore. And yet now this nation was threatened. Slave labor didn't stop the growth rate, so Pharaoh decided to try infanticide. But two women stood him down. By the way, did you hear that Salisbury Hospital has a shortage of maternity nurses. They called it a midwife crisis. Sorry, it was a bad one. Out of today's midwife's crisis, I want to suggest three actions. Things that you need to take a stand for when things are right. I think the first thing that we need to know is that God knows. Nothing catches God by surprise. I can imagine the Israelites over 400 years of slavery had wondered if God had forgotten about them. Yet nothing could be further from the truth. Hundreds of years before Joseph's birth, God gave Abraham the great promise of a nation, of a land, and of a blessing. But along with it, God forewarns in Genesis... Know for a certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers 
and a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. God knew in advance everything they would face. Somehow he brings it all together for his master plan, no matter how painful it might be, and it might be for a little while. 2 Corinthians says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God is at work. Perhaps his promise to Abraham brought encouragement to those awaiting delivery. Nothing catches God by surprise. He's not in heaven saying, well, I didn't see that coming. He knows every natural tragedy, including the disasters and wars going on and around the world. He knows every sinful action when people hurt others. When you're in a tough spot, please know that God knows and cares. Secondly, if you want courage to do the right thing, you need to fear God more than people. This one mindset will give you the fortitude to do what it takes regardless of the cost. Desperate times call for desperate measures, which might explain, if you know the story, why the midwives lied when they said that the babies are born before we even get there. I can only hope that I would act as courageously as they did. And I hope I would do the right thing to stand up against evil. I've always personally fought against injustice, as I'm sure many of you have. I hate the weaker person being picked on or bullied, or someone being shouted down simply because their opponent opponent is quick-witted and quick-mouthed. Aged about 17, I took my then-girlfriend to Salisbury Fair. We stood between the paratroopers' ride. Who knows the paratroopers? It's a bit like the big wheel. It's vertical, but then it goes on an angle with carriages that rotate on an angle of about 45 degrees. As it got faster and faster, a purse fell out of a girl's pocket, and it landed on top of a carousel nearby. A bunch of skinheads laughed, made their way towards the carousel, And the tallest grabbed the purse, took it, put it in his pocket, and ran off with his friends. Not ran off, walked off with his friends. Despite being outnumbered six to one, I went after them. I felt this injustice within me. Eventually I caught up with them, and I tapped on the tall one's shoulder, expecting to be punched in return. And like Moses, I stuttered. That's my, pur- my girlfriend's purse, which it wasn't. Still expected to be punched, he looked at me and laughed and threw the purse at me. The girl hadn't even noticed the purse had dropped out of her pocket. In the story that we've not really heard much about when we hear about the midwives, They feared God more than their Pharaoh. And they let 
the boys live. So what does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean to be afraid of him. It really means to be in awe of him. What if we cared more about what God thought than perhaps our neighbor or best friend? To fear God means to listen to him, to obey him, to do what he says. When it came to a conflict between what Pharaoh wanted and what God wanted, there was no contest. In many ways, the midwives in the story remind me of Jesus' apostles. Acts 5 records them teaching people about Jesus, the one who was recently crucified yet risen from the grave. The ruling council, Jewish council of Sanhedrin, didn't like this much and told them to stop. But the disciples replied, we must obey God rather than people. And when they started preaching to the Sanhedrin, the very people who could imprison them, or even worse, but they did it. They stood up for what they believed was right. Now we can take comfort that God knows that he is aware of our situation. And as we learn from God to fear God over people, God allows us to humbly take a stand. We need to do this with much prayer and humility to ensure it's not our pride that is leading us having to get our way. We need to make sure it's God's stand and not ours. Sometimes it's clear. The midwives knew it was wrong to kill the babies. And we must be convinced it is God's will because it may not turn out well for us Some people have spoken out for God and succeeded, like the apostles. But history also records that all but one of those apostles later would die for their faith. Yet they decided to serve God rather than people. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith of the Bible. It records famous people like Abraham and Sarah who followed God in faith, not knowing the outcome. And towards the end, it speaks of the nameless ones who were tortured and murdered for their faith. They were still honored in God's eyes. The writer of the Hebrews notes that the world was not worthy of them. Heaven awaited these heroes who chose not to elevate the God's value not, who chose not to elevate the world's value system above their faith in God and doing what was right. If you prayerfully stand up for what is right, God will honor you, whether the world does or not. In the passage of Exodus, Not a single name of Pharaoh is mentioned. They're not important to God. Yet scripture does record the two names of the midwives, our two heroes who put God above their own safety. Shifra, meaning beautiful one, and Pua, meaning splendid one. 
After the passage, the king commanded the Hebrews' babies be thrown into the Nile. Yet one enterprising mother ensured her baby was discovered in a floating basket by the king's daughter. Many of us may remember our childhood Sunday school lessons. The princess who found the baby was so enamored by him that she cared for him. And it came to be that the boy's mother would be invited to live in the palace and care for him as he grew up, secretly teaching him the true faith while he received all the best in the Egyptian education. God was at work behind the scenes through a little boy named Moses, who would someday bring about the long-awaited deliverance of the nation of Israel. So for a short time, let us look at Moses. Moses was not a natural leader. He didn't possess the strengths that the world requires of a leader. He lacked charisma and confidence. But neither did he cover leadership or aspire to greatness. We read in Numbers 12, he was very humble, more than anyone else in the face of the earth. Moses' people, the Israelites, had been living in Egypt since the time of Joseph. But a new king, bewildered by the many Hebrews living in his land, forced them into slavery and vowed to have all male Hebrew infants killed. Moses should have died, but his mother placed him in a basket in the river. Pharaoh's daughter was bathing, and discovering the basket took pity on the baby and took Moses as her own son. It was she who named him, giving him an Egyptian name, meaning, I drew him from the water. So for 40 years, Moses spent his life as a member of the Egyptian royal family, receiving the elite training and education that accompanied his status. But still, he identified himself with his own people. One day, as we heard, he saw a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian. His anger flared, and he killed the Egyptian. Word got out, and Moses was forced to flee. Moses settled in Midian and spent the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd. He married a Midianite woman and gained knowledge about the land and nomadic life that would prove invaluable in his final years as a leader of the Israelite people. More of that over the next few weeks. But think about this. Having spent his first 40 years living as royalty, his life changed. He went from palace to pasture, from high society to sheep. How might Moses have felt at such a change? How might you have felt? Perhaps God has asked you to accept a great change in your life situation or status for reasons beyond your understanding. 
How did that make you feel? Did you accept it gracefully or did you begrudge it? Moses, during his second 40 years, remained faithful and humble. Yet he lived with a temper which eventually erupted in disrespect to God. Yes, you could say he hated injustice and felt strongly about his fellow Hebrews, but his weakness was his anger. Is that something that you struggle with too? Do you lash out with words or actions? Is it something you need prayer for? But God took a convoluted path in raising up a leader to save his people. Why did God not have Moses remain in Egypt and liberate the Hebrews directly from there? Why did he spirit him away, for scripture says, for a long time? Innocent people then and today were dying brutally while God seemed to be unconcerned. We may talk of God's timing or how he sees the bigger picture than we do. Or how there is a season to everything and we would be right to say all these things. Nevertheless, part of our humanness is to wonder and query and challenge Sometimes with the ferocity of Job or Jonah, or the writers of the Psalms, even if we receive no answer that makes sense to us. Moses, the prince of the great nation, winds up in exile, working through stones and brush, in the wilderness taking care of his father-in-law's livestock. He does this for decades before God acts to end the suffering of the Hebrew people. God chooses this convoluted path to shape the soul and destiny of Moses. We too must not be surprised if God chooses this convoluted path to shape our own souls and our own destinies as well. I may not know what is going on in your life with your family, with your friends. I may not know how your health is or how you are coping financially, but God knows and God cares. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to fear him. And in following his teaching, then we will know we are pleasing him. And if you have a temper, put a lid on it. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you as our God, the one in whom we should put our awe, our trust, our allegiance, our obedience. Help us to want to please you above all others. Help us to seek your will to obey you even when doing so may be risky. Help us to prayerfully stand up for those who are being maligned or oppressed, knowing that you will vindicate us in the end. Our lives belong to you. We have been purchased through the blood of Jesus, our Savior, who was wrongly maligned for us on a criminal's cross. 
In his name we pray. Amen.